0: transformation. But it's an amazing thing. Maybe, you remember science class when you were a kid and you studied the cocoon of the caterpillar and how it would go inside this cocoon and and then suddenly would emerge this butterfly, right? And you're like, that should not happen. But it does, and it's this amazing thing. Maybe uh, you've seen, anyone seen the Snickers commercials? I love these. The Snickers commercials, remember? And it's like, the person who's like turned into Aretha Franklin and she's like you know, this diva, like I'm so sad. They're like, hey, Chuck, eat a Snickers, right? And it turns out it's, a, it's Chuck and he's just cranky because he's hungry, right? Anyone seen this commercial? Anyone hungry for Snickers right now? Anyone here named Chuck? Anyone here named Chuck? No, but okay, you can have one. I promise they have not been in my back pocket. Way over there? Okay, you ready? a uh, dusted duck, so. All right, that was pretty good. So, nice catch, Aaron. Maybe, maybe you've been driving a few years back and you saw the red light come on. And suddenly, like a moth drawn to the light, you steered your car in. Because you realized this little blob of dough was going to be transformed. And you'd watch that little blob of dough come down the conveyor belt. And it would go through the oven. This heat, this massive heat would transform this ball of dough. And it would further go down the conveyor belt. And then glaze would be poured over it. And it would go down the conveyor belt even more. And I'm talking about Krispy Kreme donuts. They went out of business. I think we should pause for a moment of silence. Okay, that's good. Uh, But... They would come down the conveyor belt, right? And then they would make their way into your mouth. And you're like, this is what manna must have tasted like in the desert. Because this is what we will eat in heaven. It will just melt in your mouth. And it's an amazing thing. Maybe there's other stuff. But maybe you've seen transformation happen. And tonight, we're going to lean into that word. We've been looking at these different words. And we talked last week about this idea that in our culture, very quickly, we allow our activity to become our identity. That the things we do become who we are. And the truth is, the things we do will always have an influence on us. But they make a lousy foundation for our identity of who we truly are. And often in Paul's writing, he would talk and say, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. And all throughout Romans 8, one of the most treasured passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. We've been leaning into these words that he's been speaking over us and saying, these are who you are. Remember that. Remember verse 1? Remember we talked about this idea the very first week, you are freed. There is no longer condemnation over you. you. Your consequences you have to deal with, right? That's the reality. But this condemnation of just this guilt and shame that just follows you around as a follower of Jesus, if you've come to the place and you've trusted him and his death and his resurrection and you've said, hey, I'm with him, then he is covered over you. You no longer have condemnation weighing you down. And so, friends, you are freed. And that should be an incredible freeing thing for you. Does that mean you never struggle? Well, no, that doesn't mean that. Does that mean you never have setbacks? Well, no, it doesn't mean that. But it means you don't have to live with this cloud of condemnation. Your past can humble you, but it doesn't have to haunt you. And we looked at this idea of being empowered, that the empowered life is far greater than the exhausted life. The exhaust, exhausted life is this idea of religious pursuit of trying to earn my way to God. And the reality is, no, no, God God said, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to actually leave a part of me in you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. You're sealed as a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance, the scriptures would say. But it's also, you're now empowered. You don't have to live in your own power, your own effort. You now have God living in his power and his presence in your life everywhere you go. Does that mean we always choose that? Well, no. It means we make our own selfish decisions at times. Anyone guilty of that? (laughs) I am. You know, I've done that. But as we stay connected to God, we can live this empowered life. And friends, we are empowered. We are freed. We are empowered. We are also this idea of adopted. That's what we looked at last week. We've been adopted into the family of God. We've been brought in. And for so many of us, what has defined us is the people that threw us out. And from what really needs to define you is who saw you, who noticed you, who picked you up, who brought you home. And that's Jesus. He noticed you and he said, I want you to come home and to be with me and be in my family. We are adopted into the family of God once we trust Christ. Now, if you're here and you're kind of investigating the whole God thing and the church thing, I think it's super awesome that you're owning your spiritual journey and that I think it's great that you're taking those steps and I hope that this is a place where you can investigate that, you can linger even with some of your doubts and that this is a place where you can, can ask some of those questions but as we've been looking at Romans chapter 8, I hope these words begin to ring within your heart, that if there's something powerful about these words. You're freed, you're adopted, you're empowered. And tonight, I want to look at this word, you're transformed. You're transformed. It's not just a transformed, like, you have now gone from darkness to light. That is truth, the scriptures would say, but it's bigger than that. It's not just that I was an enemy of God, and now I'm brought into God's family. It is that, but it's bigger than that. It's this transformation process that we all go through and that we all log time in as God is transforming us continually. And so tonight, as we look into this, uh, as preparing and prepping this week, um, I know what we're going to talk about is a little heavier because the passages we're going to look at is, has so much theology to it, so much underpinnings of, of our faith. There's no way to get through the whole thing. But I want to give us a, a sample of Romans chapter 8, verses 17 through 30 tonight. And next week, we'll wrap up the entire series looking at that we are we are loved and so tonight transformed has some some connotations to it that I think are that are maybe challenging to us because it talks about this idea of of adversity and challenges of sufferings and I got to be honest there's not a whole lot of popular sermons on suffering I looked they're not out there but tonight I I want us to kind of lean into this because here's the truth the fact is we will all suffer at some point. Different degrees, different levels, different um, degrees of hurt or different degrees of pain. We will all face adversity. We will all face challenges. Anyone here not faced one? Don't raise your hand. Anyone here faced them? Yeah, that's all of us. Look down your row. Now You have some friends. Hey, we have something to come on because the truth is we all have those adversities and what the scriptures begin to point to and begin to look at is this idea of the beauty of those we don't often say that that adversity and challenge is a beautiful thing but actually i want you to see tonight that maybe it is that god's in the midst of those working his way and so as we lean into this as we kind of go on a journey with this i hope that the Holy Spirit would just kind of stir your heart where you're at. And so if you have your Bibles, look with me. Verse 17, this is where we left off last week. We talked about, okay, we're adopted into, we're God's kids. We're adopted, we're brought into his family. We call him Abba Father, which is Aramaic for daddy. It's this intimate term. It's not like this, it's respectful, but it's intimate in this way. We get to call God our daddy our heavenly daddy. And for some of you, maybe this is just part of the journey of God reframing what daddy really is and what it's like. And here, verse 17, here's what it says. Verse 17, now, if we are children, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Meaning we have all of the rights, all the things that Jesus has access to, we have access to. That's an incredible statement. If indeed we share, here's the part we don't like in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. We like that part, sharing the glory in heaven, in our new bodies, and in everything working out right, (laughs) and everything being perfect. We, We love that, but did you catch this? Paul's saying, look, there's a duality here. As we share in the glory and in his sufferings, did Jesus suffer? Yeah, you can't help but read through the scripture accounts and the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and realize not even just a cross, that was in a massive suffering, but in just everyday ways. He preached one sermon one time and everybody left the room. Do you know what that would be like for a preacher if you stayed and everybody else left here? Don't, please. <laughs> I am not Jesus. Um, you think about all the ways and the opposition that he put up with. People that were doubting who he was, even after miracle after miracle after miracle. You think about the weight and the burden that he carried around and the sufferings he endured. Isaiah talks about this notion of how he bore our sufferings. Jesus understood this. It goes on here in verse 18. Paul's writing, it says, we're going to have this duality. You're going to share in his sufferings. You're going to share in his glory, too. It's an amazing thing. But there's going to be some hardship that comes with this, that being a, a Christ follower isn't just, you know, cake and candy. There's some suffering that, that's going to go along. There's some adversity, some challenges that are going to be a part of that. It goes on, He says, I consider, and the an interesting thing, the word consider there in Greek is very authoritative. Meaning, here's what I know. I know this to be true. I consider that our present sufferings, keros is this this word for suffering, this present sufferings, meaning it's a season. It's not just a specific time. It's a specific season. It will have an ending point to it. I consider that this present suffering is not worth comparing to this glory that we're going to have. Anyone long time ago, game show saw Let's Make a Deal? Anyone? Let's make a deal. Hopefully you saw it on reruns because um, <clears throat> I am not that old. I saw it on reruns. Anyway, um, let's make a deal. Sometimes they would give them just a little uh, gift as they came forward and they say, hey, you can have that like this you know, five pound dog food or you can trade it for what's behind door number two, right? And door number two could be worse, could be cat food and that would be way worse. Um, or it could be like a whole brand new car. And you never knew. And so you had this opportunity, this weight, you had to figure it out. And what Paul is saying is, look, I consider, I know authoritatively that what we suffer now, what we have to endure, the hardship, the adversity, the challenges we endure now, they're nothing compared to what's behind door number two. What is to come, this glory that we will have in Christ is so much greater than what we endure right now. And he goes on. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. This notion that even creation is not the way it was designed to be, and even its groaning, its longing for what it should be. I love what G.K. Chesterton said this, this great quote. He said, to describe the reality of life right now. He says, and I think we'd all agree, it's like living in the remains of a shipwreck. There's lots of treasures, but you just know it's not the way it's supposed to be. How many of you would say that describes our world right now? Things just aren't the way it's supposed to be. We all encounter that, true? We've all faced that. We've faced those adversity and those challenges where things, maybe even your own self, it's it's not what you were created to be and you fall short of that. Or or you interface with reality of of what faces you and the challenges and adversity that comes your way. And you're like, this this just should not be the way it should be. And, and, And we feel that and we know that. There's some key words as you read through some of these next verses. This idea of hope is used six times. Paul's saying, look, there is this hope that's out there, that's like this anchor, and it's pulling you forward, and it will be revealed even though it's not realized right now. You have this hope, but he says there's also this waiting. This waiting, meaning the, things, the way things should be just aren't here yet. And so there's this longing in your heart. There's this longing in all of creation to be restored the way it should be the way it was created to be, and it's not there yet. There's this waiting. There's this expectancy that is to come. There's this groaning, he says. Three different times through here, you just sense that there's a groaning from a Christian that it's it's just not the way it's supposed to be and that even all of creation. Groans, and we begin to see that. And maybe we'll begin to ask some of these questions, these big questions that people ask at times. Remember, maybe you've been asked them. Hey, if, if God's a loving God, why do hurricanes happen? Why does disaster strike? Why do, why do bad things happen to good people and bad people? Shouldn't karma just be the rule? Why, why do things happen the way they happen? And when you're asked those questions, they're deep longing questions, aren't they? They're not easily answered, are they? And I think what Paul is beginning to get to is he's beginning to begin to tackle some and, and wrestle with some of those type of questions, those deep longings in our heart to say, I, I don't know. I know when I when I do a funeral of a nine month old, I know that's just not the way it's supposed to be. I know when I do a funeral of a teenager who committed suicide, and I know that's, that's just not the way it's supposed to be. Does anyone wrestle with this stuff? And you just see life, and you see these, these truths that play out, in these scenarios, and these situations, these circumstances, and you just go, it's not the way it's supposed to be. And Paul's beginning to, to get at that. He says, look, things aren't the way they're supposed to be right now. We do have this hope and we get to share in his glory and it's an amazing thing, but friends, it also means we will have to endure some of these sufferings, some of these challenges, some of these adversities that come our way and come the way of our friends. There's this notion, this experience, that in that we begin to taste our own weakness and we don't like that. In fact, My hunch is, every single one of us, myself included, we like to be in control, we like to have strength for the situations we're facing. And when we face adversity that's bigger than us, what we realize in that moment is I'm weak, and I'm not in control, and I don't like that. And my hunch is you feel the same way. And even in that moment, what can happen is two different paths. One is I can either go the path of self-reliance and I can, I can kind of bow up every bit of strength I have and continue to, to bang my head against the wall and continue to go forward the best I can until I run out of gas. Or I can realize that there is a, a deeper strength available to me that maybe in the midst of challenges and adversity and, and, and things that, that come our way that are, are challenged... Oriented, things that, that we have to overcome, we realize in that moment, I, I've got to lean on someone else who's got a greater source of power to help me. And I need to stay available to that. And I need to not close that off. See, in God's management over our lives, suffering is never senseless. It doesn't mean that suffering's always good, it doesn't mean that everything you suffer from is good. It just means suffering will be a part of your journey. It'll be a part of mine. And that God won't waste that. He will actually have a purpose through it. Maybe it's what drove Jesus to say these words. Remember, in John chapter 15 and 16, he's talking about the reality of where he's going. And he says some pretty incredible things to these early followers of him. And he says, look, in just just a few moments, Something's going to unfold that's going to cause you to scatter. And you're going to run. And after this whole thing is going to go down with this death and resurrection thing, and I know you don't fully understand it yet, but you have to know coming in the near future, they're going to persecute you. Because they don't like me, they're not going to like you at times. And Jesus says, people who associate with me and who follow me are going to actually face some great challenges that maybe they're not even aware of. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You, you stay attached to me. See, if this world hates you, keep in mind, well, it hated me first. And he starts going over all this list you can read through John 15 and into John 16. He says, I've told you all these things so you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. They will kill you. Imagine being one of the early followers of Jesus going, hey, whoa, 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 I'm out. I don't remember signing up for this. And Jesus is saying, no, challenges are coming. And then you get to the very last verse of chapter 16. He says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have what? Trouble. We could quote a song here. You will have trouble, trouble, trouble. You will have trouble in this world, but take heart. I've overcome this world. You need to stay anchored to me because I've overcome this world. Don't let yourself be taken away. And see, what they need to find is they needed to trust in Jesus because their circumstances were always continually going to be challenging and changing. They needed to trust in their creator because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So he stays the same. Circumstances change. Challenges will come and go. Adversity will come and go. But you need to stay anchored to me. That's what he's teaching them. That a faith built on pleasant circumstances will crumble when those circumstances fade and challenges come their way. At the first sign of adversity, they'll crack. But a faith built on him can withstand those challenges and those oppositions that come your way. We don't like challenges. We don't like adversity. And we sometimes even try to rescue ourselves and rescue others. There was a psychologist by, his name is Jonathan Haight, and he did a hypothetical exercise where he said, uh, if I gave you, like if you're a parent, and, and you have kids, and you love your kids, and he and said, look, I'm going to give you a script of your kid's life. In fact, the script from their birth all the way to their death, and here's what's going to face them. Here's all the things that are going to happen, and I would let you read through that, and I would give you five minutes with a magic pencil to erase everything that you wanted to erase of the script that was gonna happen to their life. And maybe you had a child that had a a reading challenge in elementary school, and and reading for them would be uh, a great deal more of difficulty than maybe other kids, and they would have to face that. Would you erase that from them? And he said, what if they got into high school and they had this great friendship, and yet one of their friends died of cancer? Or they got into the college they wanted to go to and yet they had this car accident happen when they were about 20 years old and it injured them in a way that that injury would affect them the rest of their entire life. Or they got married one day and yet they would face the pain of separation at one point. Or they'd face some challenges in the circumstances. They'd find this great job and then they'd lose it. Or the challenges that would come with a medical condition played out in their 40s and 50s. And he said, I'll give you five minutes. If you had a magic wand, what parts would you erase? And every part of us would say, well, of course, I wanna erase the difficult parts. I wanna erase the challenges that they have because as a parent, we wanna protect, right? And maybe the question to ask is, would that really be the best thing? Isn't it true that you're not the person you are today? Or you wouldn't be the person you are today without having had to face some of the challenges and adversity you had to go through. That in some ways, those circumstances changed you. They molded you, shaped you in a way. That maybe you wouldn't be the person you are without those. And that maybe adversity and challenge and difficulties are a part of what God wants to use to shape us is it possible that we actually need those things not that God would go around causing those things but would allow in a broken world some of those things to happen and to come our way so that they begin to chip away and show us because here's the truth God does some of his best transforming work in us through adversity and challenges going on around us isn't that the truth that God does some of his best work in us in our character of who we're becoming by some of the challenges and the adversities going on around us. We have some values here at Element City Church. One is that progress is greater than perfection. That progress in your spiritual journey is greater than perfection because no one's perfect. And progress says when I fail, I'll get back up and keep moving. And when I face challenges, when I face adversity, I won't let it stop me. I'll have people around me who cheer me forward in that. We have this other value that speaks of this idea that we accept and we expect. We accept people right where they're at, but see, the gospel and the power of grace says we we expect people to move forward from there. That the gospel isn't just enough to save me, it's enough to change me. And it's to call me into this journey with Jesus that is continual and that continues to move forward, that we're compelled by that. That grace and growth are inseparably connected. And that we need to work in that. There's this beautiful illustration that um, uh, my uh, Amy's grandmother used to have this loom in her house. And if you've never seen a loom, it's a giant, I don't know how to even describe it. It's a big piece of wood with lots of strings and you actually stitch rugs and tapestry on those things and and you work on that. And the the interesting thing is on the back side of, of whatever project's going on, there's tons of cords and yarn and string going everywhere, but on the front side, you actually see the pattern. And maybe in our lives are a lot like that. That if you were to look on the back side of our life, you would see the mess of what is and the things that we've had to go through and challenge and and adversity we've had to overcome. But on the front side, actually God's creating something beautiful through that and in that. And that we all had to go through those challenges and begin to shape us. And it takes us to this verse that I want us to memorize. We've been looking at a couple different verses through Romans 8, uh, and Romans 8, 28, here's a famous verse we've all heard. But you, you can't separate Romans 8.28 from Romans 8.29. They go together. And you can't just take one. You've got to take both. Here's what they say. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. For God foreknew, he predestined, meaning he said, this is who, I know who, and I've got this purpose and this goal that they would become more and more like Jesus, that the essence of Jesus' character would be formed in you and formed in me as a follower of him, as someone who's been a rescued one, a found one. We would have new parts, we would be transformed in this process, and God will work good. In fact, if you have a pen, I want you to underline in verse 28. We know that in all things, a lot of times we put our focus on all things, but the truth is the focus should be on the who and the what. And the who is God, and what's he doing? He's working. So underlying God works. In all things, God works. He's at work behind the scenes for the good of those who love him. That when those challenges come, he's at work in those. And even though you don't like him, You know that he's doing something. The Greek word here uh, for change is this idea of morph. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. It's God's doing a transforming work through those challenges and through the sufferings that we endure and that we face in this life. That God is at work behind the scenes, working for our good. That doesn't mean what happens to you or what was done to you is good. It just means that God can recycle that. And God can use that. And God can pull you forward out of that. We have evil in this world, truth. And evil things and bad things happen to good people and bad people, right? That things unfold in your life, and you may be here to have had something unfold in your life that was not your choice, it was not your decision, and someone did something that was wrong to you. That doesn't make it right but what it says in that moment is God won't waste that. He didn't want that to happen. In fact, God, I believe the scriptures say, God cried in that moment because He longs to help us. And he, His heart hurts when we hurt, like a good daddy would. But in those moments, He's going to be at work. And he's going to be pulling things forward for your good to shape you and to mold you to be more and more like Jesus. And that people would see that and put that on display. That God is able to turn things around in the long range for your good. I wrote this down. Discomfort and adversity are tools God can use in our lives. Tools that grow our connection with Christ and his character within us. We don't like those tools, if we're just honest. Wow, Jack, the sermon's heavy. Yeah, it kinda is. That's the reality of it though. That as adversity and suffering and challenge comes, what we love in America is to go shopping to buy our way around it or to buy our way out of it or or to, to go on a trip and let's experience something else and the truth is I, I don't want you to run too quickly through those because God might want to be using that to help shape the character of his son in you and in me and that is part of that glory, the hope we get to look forward to. It, it's partly why um, we read some incredible Truths, you think of the people in the Bible. You think of Joseph. We love the end of Joseph's story, right? He saves everybody. It's awesome. Anyone want to take the journey Joseph did to get there? No. Think of Esther, you know, who's walking in and has no idea if she's going to walk out of that room. You know, Joseph has this challenge where he's sold into slavery by his brothers, left for dead. He's accused of something he didn't do. And he's suffering in jail. Finally gets out of that. And then life goes well for him. But he's got all this baggage and issues that he has from his past. Because then his brothers show up. And things get kind of messy there for a little while. You start reading through stories of Job. You start reading through the story of Paul. You know, Paul's beaten three times to an inch of his death. Wrote most of the New Testament. We love Paul but I don't know if we like the idea of being shipwrecked. He went through that. Abandoned, brought forward in a riot where he was almost killed. See, we like the good stuff of Paul, right? We like the good stuff of our stories. But it's the other challenging things that actually begin to shape our character and shape our heart. That God uses our suffering as a key shaping tool for our very souls. Suffering not only could be a part of shaping us, But the sufferings and adversity we face are also meant to help other people. One of my favorite passages um, is in 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, it talks about this idea that the stuff we go through, the challenges we face, they can actually be recycled. I love the fact that God recycles things. That he, he looks at stuff and he says, look, I know you went through this hardship, but can I just read you about this? I love that God declares himself the father of all compassion. He says, I want to be known as the God of all compassion. He says things like this. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, as is Paul writing. The Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others with the comfort we received. That the pain and suffering and hardship that you go through and that you will go through, God wants to recycle that. To be able to pour his comfort through you into other people. Some of you have benefited from other people who have been through hard times and who God worked in their life, and then when you started going through hard times, they were able to comfort you. That's this verse in action. That's the beauty of it, that God gets to recycle some of this stuff and gets to use us to help other people. Jesus is the author of transformation. And every story you look through in the Gospels, it's about transformation. He is always at work. Paul writes elsewhere to the church in Philippi. He says, "Look, he who began a good work in you will what? Will be faithful to complete it." God is always at work behind the scenes, even in the tough times of life that you face. I love um, Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book called *The Path Through Suffering* that I read a few years ago uh, after my mom died, and uh, she wrote, writes this: just a great thought. Suffering creates the possibility of growth and holiness, but only to those who are open to its training. Not by arguing with the Lord about why they did or why uh, what they did or didn't do to deserve this, but by praying a very simple prayer. And this is the prayer I'd love for you to let ring in your heart this week as you would face adversity, as you face challenges, as you face setbacks, as you face failures, as you face rejection, as you face suffering, would you let this prayer become something that just kind of surfaces in your mind? Lord, show me what you have for me in this. Because the truth is, God is always at work behind the scenes, shaping the heart and character of Jesus more and more into your life, that you reflect him more, but only if you open yourself up to it. To say, God, I want to grow. And I don't like this challenge, and I hate it, but I I know I can learn from this. Probably the person that taught me this the most was my mom, and uh, she died about seven years ago, faced uh, diabetes as a kid, and all the side effects of that, breast cancer, uh, some vision issues, and finally, kidney dialysis. And I, I never, I never heard her complain. I never heard her curse God in that. And uh, she taught me how to suffer and how to suffer well. And here's what I learned by watching my mom her intimacy with God and her connection with God was greater than, than I think anyone I've ever been around. Because I believe God wants to hang out with the hurting. And I think when people are hurting, God's really close. And for those that are hurting, as God's really close, they can hear the whispers and they can learn some things that you never hear when you're on the mountaintops of life, when things are going really well, life's speeding by and everything's rosy. But when you're in the valleys, I think David wrote about that in the Psalms, right? Though I walk through the valley in the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're here with me. God loves to hang out with the hurting. And in those moments, we can learn something. And we can have our character etched more and more. See, I wrote this down in uh, James. It talks about consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kind. What? Pure joy? (laughs) You don't hear that in America. No, but you hear that in the scriptures. Because God's saying, look, consider it pure joy when you face these trials because you know that the testing of your faith will produce something. Something better. This is what I wrote. A life of faith is forged through the crucible of sufferings and adversity. It does not just fall into place comfortably. That a life of faith, and I think all of us here would say, I I, I desire a life of faith, I want to live a life of faith. And and I would say, well, that's not going to happen comfortably. There's going to be some challenges along the way but for those who open themselves up to that, who maybe say a simple prayer like Elizabeth Elliot said, Lord, show me what you have for me in this. Let me see you more clearly. Let me hear your whispers. Let me learn, shape my character of who I am and who I'm becoming. There's this incredible reality that those who begin to pray that prayer begin to see God and sense God and know God in greater ways. So maybe that final prayer, just give it to you again. This is what Elizabeth Elliot said. Lord, show me what you have for me in this. That as you face challenges, as you face adversity, as you face suffering, that you just say that simple prayer. Lord, show me what you have for me in this. Because what Paul is saying here is that there is a purpose to the sufferings that you you and I will go through doesn't mean it doesn't make him right doesn't make it perfect doesn't make that it should be doesn't mean that God created that it just means God's going to use it because sometimes those are his greatest tools to begin to shape his purpose what's his purpose that we might reflect more and more Jesus to the world around us and so here's what I'd love to do I'd love to pray over you and then uh, we're going to continue on in worship we're going to Uh, Observe communion. If you're kind of new, this is how we do it. We have communion stations around the room, and you'll be welcome to be a part of that. You don't have to. But if you want to take a moment to remember what Jesus did for you, the way he suffered on your behalf, Jesus didn't suffer so that you wouldn't have to suffer. He suffered so that we would know how to suffer, and we would know how he begins to shape us, that we might endure. And I would love to pray just over you, and here's what I want to invite you to. That if you're here tonight and you've been facing some adversity, some great challenge, some, some sufferings of your own life, and you'd love to have some people pray over you, uh, we would love to do that tonight. In fact, we're going to have a couple of us outside. So during these next couple of songs, I just invite you, if you want, uh, you're welcome to come out. We would love just to, to say a prayer over you and pray with you in that moment, and then you can slip right back in here. You don't have to. But if that's you, you're welcome to. We'd love to pray for you. It's just a, a prayer team here. We'd love to just cover you in prayer and support you and encourage you. And so, Father, as we make our way toward worship and just remembering you, Jesus, in communion, remembering your, the gift of your broken body, the sacrifice you made of of shedding your blood for our sin, our brokenness, that one day we would live with this hope that keeps pulling us forward, even in the midst of the muck that we face, it keeps pulling us forward into this hope that's an anchor for our soul, that the way things are aren't the way they're supposed to be. And one day you will set it right. That's what the second coming of Jesus is all about. One day you will make it right. There will be no more tear. There will be no more pain. You will make it right. But in the meantime, we face adversity. We face challenges. I pray for my friends in this room tonight that maybe have been in a season, this present suffering, this season of hardship that they've been facing, whether it's setbacks or rejection or things that didn't pan out the way they thought. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be at work in their heart that the truth of Romans 8.28 and the truth of 8.29, that you have a purpose, that you can recycle, that you can reuse, that you can be at work behind the scenes. I pray that they would begin to sense that deep within. Father, for some, would you allow us as a community tonight to pray and empower people with the, just the, the gift of prayer. Fathers, we worship you. May you allow in these next couple songs just for us to lean into you is the God of all comfort, who comforts us. Father, tonight, some of us need that. So would you allow your comfort to flow in this room, in this space? Or would you have your way in these next few moments as we just linger, knowing that people who have lingered with you are changed? God, I pray for my friends. Would your comfort reign here tonight? Would you be at work? Would you help us to be a community that knows how to suffer and learn through it and shines a bright light of hope in the midst of it?